Our scripture lesson today is coming from John 8. Uh, we're going to start at verse 2, and we'll read through verse 12. Uh, it's kind of a familiar uh, passage in the Bible. And boys and girls, teens, some special things in here for you, too, to think about. So uh, we'll talk about that, too, as we go through the message this morning. So glad to always see children in church. Wonderful thing. John, chapter 8, starting at verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard it began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And our text is this last part of verse 11. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Friends in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's just ask for God's blessing as we open his word together today. Father in heaven, it's our joy and privilege to have the Bible in our own language. We're so thankful that we can not only hear words, but actually hear and feel your Holy Spirit behind those words. And so we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts this morning will be acceptable to you and will nurture us in our faith journey this week. In Jesus' name, amen. In this passage, it's the stones that really stand out. I think you boys and girls, if you've read this in a Bible story book at home, it's the stones that you think about. And I know that some of you have come across this in school. Your teachers have talked about the stones that they threw at people to kill them. And I know that when you as adults think about this, you think about, well, what kind of stones did they use? They weren't obviously pebbles like we have in our landscaping, uh, but they were nice big stones that would crush people, and hopefully one of those big stones would, for them, hit them in the head and crush their brains, and they'd die. And so often, it's the stones that really stand out, and yet, when we really begin to look at it, 
we recognize that it's not a story of stones, but it's a story about something that our Lord Jesus Christ does for us. We know that the stones stand out because in the Old Testament already, uh, that's exactly uh, what was said. In Deuteronomy 22, 22, it says, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Now you know, teenagers, that the Pharisees were the Bible scholars of that time. They were kind of like the seminary professors. And so they knew this verse by heart. And so they were thinking to themselves, you know, if we could find somebody who was caught in the act of adultery, we could really nail Jesus. Or we could get him so that he has no answer whatsoever. And that was exactly their plan. And so we read in John 8, verse 2, that Jesus had simply appeared. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now, gathering in the temple courts meant that he was in the public area where Gentiles, Romans, Greeks, all kinds of people could come. So what Jesus was going to teach that day was a lesson that he wanted for everybody. And so it's a lesson that everybody can enjoy because the lesson that he's going to teach, that lesson of forgiveness, is something that's important for every single child, every single child of God, and every single boy and girl in the sanctuary today too. Because I'm sure every boy and girl here well as teenagers have had times when they had to say, I'm sorry, I need forgiveness. And that's really what this lesson is going to be about. You kind of wonder, don't you, though, how Jesus just appeared. Where was Jesus? We don't really know, do we? He just showed up at the temple, kind of like how he showed up uh, when the disciples were behind locked doors after his resurrection. Probably, Jesus was spending the night in prayer with his father. No doubt his father even warned him of some of the trials that were going to come that way. They probably, his father in heaven might have even said to Jesus, Jesus, uh, the Pharisees and the leaders, the spiritual leaders of God's people, they're going to try to test you. And they're going to bring in a woman caught in adultery. And you know what to do, Jesus. Because you're my son and you're perfect. So maybe Jesus had advance warning. And maybe he just came into the temple energized by this relationship that he had with his father. 
and maybe just was energized by the fact that he had been in contact with his disciples the day before. And now again, he was going to meet so many people who needed him, so many people who needed salvation. And so Jesus appeared there so that he could speak to everybody. Well, I think all of us know about the home field advantage. Well, Jesus was at home in the temple. You remember at 12 years old already, he said to his parents, I'm supposed to be in my father's house. Didn't you know that? So Jesus is on his home turf here. So when the Cubs play or the White Sox play or the Bears play, if they play here, well, they got home field advantage. So they say in football that probably is worth maybe three to seven points. In baseball, it's probably worth a run or two. In college, it's even more so. Because to have a home field advantage in your own university stadium is just a tremendous thing. So here Jesus is in the temple, in the public, with home field advantage. And that's when the Pharisees foolishly decide we're going to trick Jesus. We're going to get him in a box he can't get out of. And so they decided to go start searching through Jerusalem to find some young couple whose hormones have overcome their judgment and they're caught right in the middle of the sex act and they take the woman. They don't give her time to comb her hair, put on a little makeup. No, they just grab her, take that sheet she's in bed with and wrap it around her a little bit and take her to Jesus, disheveled, embarrassed. Awful situation. But the chief priests and the professors in the seminary, they had become peeping toms, going all over Jerusalem looking for somebody who was sinning against the seventh commandment. In their zeal to defend Deuteronomy 22:22, they themselves sinned. And they knew it deep down in their hearts, though they probably didn't think about it very much. They found exactly what they were looking for. They actually made some mistakes. And these are the three mistakes they made. First, they twisted the truth of God's word. Because what did we read this morning in Deuteronomy 22:22? The man and the woman shall both be stoned to death. And what did they do? They just took the woman. Where's the man in the picture here? He's not there. So their first mistake was to lean on a Bible passage of the Old Testament and make their case, but not using the Bible fully selectively saying, we're going to take this woman caught in adultery. 
We're going to forget about the man. He goes scot-free. That wasn't the Bible's way. We saw it ourselves this morning, didn't we, in the text. How many times in our culture today do we do the same thing? The Bible explicitly teaches us how to live, but we twist the words a little bit so that we can eke out for ourselves a little bit of space for sins that we want to commit. And we not only do it on a personal level, but we do it sometimes on a church level as well. And the church of Jesus Christ will just drift a little further because we've twisted the words of the Bible. Of course, the second mistake that they made is that they totally underestimate God. Uh, they think they're in control. They've been going around Jerusalem finding this couple that they're looking for. But they forget that God has gone before them. That God has allowed them to find this couple. That God has allowed them to drag this woman, hair uncombed, no makeup, just wrapped in a sheet, and drag her into the temple courts where everybody could see her, embarrass her to death. God's in that, too. He's preparing the way. God is always there, and he's always caring, and he always gets his way. And the third thing that they underestimated was words. Because in this passage, Jesus demonstrates that because he is the word, he can even speak without words. Now, the Pharisees thought all we need is the words of Deuteronomy 22, 22, and other passages like it in the Old Testament. But Jesus is saying, wait a minute. I don't have to respond. I don't have to say anything. Notice how that passage goes here. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? So they wanted Jesus to speak, right? They wanted to see what he was going to say. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So now, boys and girls, what does Jesus do? Well, this was the temple court. The temple court was sort of outside the temple. And so when you go out of church sometime and you go around here in the courtyard of the church, you see some dirt. And you can maybe play in the dirt. Maybe you come home and your, your mom and dad are angry because your clothes are dirty. You just played after church in the dirt. Well, that's the courtyard we're talking about. So what did Jesus do? He knelt down. And he started to write with his index finger. And so this finger, this pointy finger of Jesus, that's what he was doing. 
Oh, the Pharisees are frustrated. The spiritual leaders don't know now what. But remember, boys and girls, that this is the finger that in Genesis 1, Jesus used to fling the stars into space. This is his hand of creation. And the stars just rolled off Jesus' index finger like anything. And we're still trying to chase those stars. And we're still trying to get back to the moon and to Mars and, and maybe to billions of years later being able to get to some of those distant stars. And Jesus did in a second with his finger. This is also the finger, boys and girls, that wrote on Mount Sinai and put the Ten Commandments in stone. And then you remember, Moses was angry when he saw how the people were sinning and had built themselves this golden calf. And he took those tablets of stone and he heaved them down and they broke to pieces. Moses had to trudge back up to the top of Mount Sinai. And once again, this finger that wrote in the sand, etched on tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments that are so important for us today. Actually, this finger is right by the finger that the Romans used to nail Jesus to the cross. They put the nail right about where my thumb is, if I can see that. And so there was his, that finger that, had, that was writing in the temple dirt. We don't know what Jesus wrote. Maybe he wrote some letters. Maybe he just doodled. Maybe even Jesus made a little comic strip. Who knows? It doesn't tell us. But all he did was write. Boy, this really made the Pharisees angry. We asked Jesus, what do you say? And he's not speaking. And he doesn't have to speak because the word which Jesus is, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, as John's gospel opens. He doesn't need to speak to let his powerful words speak. And so Jesus baffles them once again. And then the Holy Spirit goes on. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. That's how he ends their frustration. He said, you asked me to say something, and I will. And what I say is if you are the, without sin, you throw the stone first. looking out here and I'm seeing some elderly folks looking at myself kind of elderly too maybe from the child's point of view 
We've had more years to sin than anybody else. We celebrate our birthdays. But every year we can celebrate a birthday. It's another year that we sinned. So the oldest one there, let's just say he was maybe 80 years old. He left first. Because he had 80 years of sin to look back on. Now, maybe some of you boys and girls here are like eight years old. You haven't had very long to sin. So you're not as bad as sinners as your parents who've had more years to do sin. So that's why the oldest one left, and finally they got down to the youngest one, and they were all gone. Nobody had picked up a stone because nobody had a perfect life. all the time they were leaving one by one by one Jesus was writing with his finger in the sand of the temple court and then the Bible tells us Jesus said woman where are they has no one condemned you No stone was thrown. And then she says just three words. No one, sir. Really, everything we've said in the message this morning is kind of like biblical boilerplate. It's what we all know, what our boys and girls know what they're learning in school, in Sunday school, at home, in church. But then we come to these tremendous words of our Lord Jesus. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And he said this to a woman caught in public adultery who deserved to be stoned by Old Testament law. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. And I stand before Jesus, and you stand before Jesus. And we know that we are worthy of condemnation We are worthy of an eternity in hell. And yet, we hear the echo of Jesus' words to this woman. Neither do I condemn you. Those are powerful words. But remember, what were the first two words that Jesus spoke from the cross? Well, Jesus' nail was right there by the finger that had written in the sand of the temple. What was the first thing that Jesus said? Father, forgive. Because that's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus desired to do. 
to speak to those caught in adultery, I do not condemn you because my blood will cleanse you from sin. And Jesus goes on. Go now and leave your life of sin. And that's precisely what Jesus says to me and to you today. Once we've had that no condemnation declaration from Jesus, we can pick up our lives and we can sin no more. And isn't that really what preparation for communion is all about? That I take a look at my life and I say, it hasn't been so good. But Jesus does not condemn me. Instead, his finger on the cross has that nail. And that nail reminds me that he broke his body so that I could be saved. It reminds me that Jesus shed his blood, the nail by the finger that rode in the temple sand, so that I could be saved. And next week, Sunday morning, as you sit here in the sanctuary, and you take in your hands the bread, and you take in your hand the drink, Remember that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who said, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. There can be no greater challenge for us than to follow our Savior, guilty sinners as we are, so that we may live a life for him. Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, we pray that our week of preparation and the rest of our life really, we will keep hearing the echo of your words. The echo, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. That's our fervent prayer for the week of preparation and our fervent prayer for the rest of our lives and then take us to eternity where there's no sin, no sorrow, no tears of repentance, but only tears of joy at meeting Jesus face to face. And yes, Father in heaven, we will look with the nail prints in his hands. And remember that the one nail print is right by the finger that cast the stars into space and etched the Ten Commandments. And yes, rode in the sand of the temple court. Amen.